Heavenly Father, uh, we are grateful once again for your loving kindness towards us as a church family, as a church body. We thank you, Lord, just for sustaining us in 2016, and as we embark on 2017 now, uh, we pray, Lord, that um, you remind us once again that you are sovereign, you are in control of all things. Every single detail of our lives, Lord, there's never an accident. And so we trust in you. We pray, Father, that you will clear away any distractions from our minds and our hearts so that this word will become so real that we could walk away a changed person. Help us to see you now in this text. Lord, I am just a deliverer. Humble us now, Father. Lord, we thank you for your word. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm sure you, you've heard it all. I mean, 2017 is upon us. Happy New Year. Gateway Bible Church. Uh, I can't think of a, I don't remember the last time I started a Sunday on January 1st. Um, but we, my family and I, we do a lot of reflection as, as the year ends, or as the year ended, and as we head into the new year. Um, and one of the things that, we've kind of tossed around in in saying and also praying to one another is uh, another year, but God God is still the same. God is still the same, and we are thankful and we are grateful that God is still the same as we woke up this morning in 2017. Uh, For some of us, I know uh, that we might be going going through some changes this year, good and bad. Um, Some of us may not like change, but again, just remember God is going to carry you this year as he's done in years past. Speaking of change, some of us, or some of you also may know that we've actually moved three times, my family and I, we've moved three times in the past seven years. Um, A lot of you have helped us. If you don't know, Gateway has a great moving service. Um... You only need one man to help you, and his name is Alex Lopes. <laughs> and he will carry all your heaviest furniture um, one by one or all at one time. I don't know about you, but others may feel differently about moving, but if you ever experienced moving every couple of years, it could be a real pain. I mean, the packing, the, the purging, the organizing, putting everything away, only to do it a couple years later again. I mean, there are times where my family and I never really felt settled because of the constant moves. But here's what moving does, or here's what moving did to us, and, and it put us in a place where, where we have just a fresh perspective on eternal things. It reminded us that we do not have a permanent place here on earth. And that's a good thing, that our, our time here on earth is not permanent. And we're okay with that. I mean, we should all be reminded from time to time that when we go home today, our physical house is not our permanent resting place. That is not our final resting place, is the house that we go home today, to go home to today after this service. And Moses knew this reality it could be the reason, one of the reasons why he wrote this psalm. 
And that's why I think this psalm is so fitting as we begin 2017. Psalm 90 is the, the oldest recorded psalm in this altar. And as I mentioned, it was written by, by Moses himself. I mean, there have been debates about the author of Psalm 90, but generally, the consensus is it points to Moses. The big question before we get into our text this morning is, who is Moses? And so, for the sake of the church and for the sake of our text, I want to make sure that we, we know who Moses is. And so I wanted to give a, a quick flyover, a really quick flyover, of who Moses was. Um, he was born into the Hebrew tribe of Levi. Some of us remember he was hidden as an infant in an ark that was placed in the Nile River to escape the wrath of an unnamed Pharaoh. This all starts in Exodus 2. At the same time, the daughter of that same Pharaoh found and raised him. Moses was trained uh, at the Egyptian court until he was an adult. But his life changed when he, when he killed an Egyptian. I mean, we all know the story. And from there, he, he fled Egypt. He took refuge in Midian, where he married his wife and had two sons. He was ready for that quiet life in Midian. However, a dramatic event occurred where Moses encountered God. Moses encountered God. I say that lightly, but just think about that. Moses encountered God face to face from the time he was in Midian. You know, we've been going through, through 2 Samuel um, at Gateway for the past year. I, mean, I remember, if you remember, we started 2 Samuel 2 um, January of last year. And so we know a lot about David. David was a man after God's own heart. But in the Old Testament, Moses was the man. I mean, David had the tabernacle to encounter God, but Moses saw God. And so from this encounter with God, Moses received his divine commission to lead the children out of Israel or out of Egypt, to, to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, excuse me. And so we all know the story, how it continues. God had Moses cast the 10 plagues on Egypt. And by God, Moses parted the Red Sea. And then while in the desert, God fed them food, manna from heaven. And then from there, the people were in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but um, our, our Bible reading plan, we, we promoted the, the McShane uh, reading plan. We started this year, and um, as you know, we, it goes from Genesis. And I think in, in April, we hit Exodus and Numbers. Um, maybe some people, not at Gateway, begin to slow down when Numbers hits. Um, because, you know, it's just kind of this recurring theme or, or when Leviticus hits and then Numbers comes into play. But if you think about the book of Numbers, when we read in chapter 14, what we read in chapter 14 is how God became angry after Israel's repeated disobedience. Then if you jump, jump to Numbers 20, you start to understand that 40 years have passed. So from Numbers 14 to Numbers 20, 40 years have passed. 
I'm saying this because the background of Psalm 90, some people are, have you know, different opinions on when this psalm was actually written. Some say it was during Numbers 14 when they're about ready to, to go into the wilderness. And some say it was around Numbers 20 as Moses was reflecting back at his time in the wilderness. I mean, whenever it was written, here's the crucial reminder that God will always be God, eternal and loving, and we will always be frail and sinful. And that's what Moses saw during his time in the desert. Therefore, my aim this morning is this. My aim this morning is this. We are to recognize our limitations in light of God's eternality. We are to recognize our limitations in light of God's internality. Like many Psalms, it starts with God, which brings us to our first point this morning, the eternal presence of God. The eternal presence of God. The first thing we find in our text this morning is that God is our home. God is our home. And again, it's only fitting that Moses begins his prayer with God. Why is that? The the beginning of this prayer is a reflection of Moses and his relationship with God. If you remember, he he was the one that knew God so intimately that he conversed with him face to face, so to speak, the burning bush. Therefore, we know that Moses had a strong sense of God's splendor. He had a strong sense of his greatness. And not many people had, had an opportunity to be in the presence of God here on earth. But Moses did. Not only that, Moses witnessed God's presence from generation to generation. Again, let me, let me go over this with you. He witnessed blessing after blessing. He witnessed deliverance from the Israelites out of slavery. He witnessed rebellion of his own people. He witnessed death upon death because of disobedience. Most notably, he witnessed the wandering in the wilderness. He was with them through it all. Keep that in mind as we go through this text, that he was wandering through the wilderness with the the Israelites. Again, I know we have some children in our service this morning, so pop quiz. Um, How many years were the Israelites in the desert? 40, good job, 40, 40 years. Now imagine moving from place to place, never settling, no home to go to after a long day or a long week even. You see, Moses knew what it was like to to not have a permanent home because he was in the wilderness for 40 years. And in saying this, Moses understood that as they wandered in the wilderness, the only comfort of a permanent resting place could only be found in God. That phrase, dwelling place, is translated as refuge or shelter, and in some translations, trust. I mean, we've seen this a number of times, that that word refuge. Just the next psalm over, Psalm 91.1, right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. However, one commentary puts it this way. He said, he said, refuge doesn't do it justice. He says, we need to go even deeper than that. 
he says this, the most appropriate translation is abode. Now, I know we don't use that in our everyday language, abode. I don't say, you know, home group or abode group is going to be tonight. But if you think about abode, he's really thinking about home. So if you go into the text, the deeper translation is home. So Moses begins his prayer with saying, God, you have been our home as we've wandered from generation to generation. No place on earth could ever compare to the home we have in God. And here's why. God, God is eternal. God is past, present, and future. Before God created the heavens and the earth, a place for us to reside, he was always there. Think about this. Our home created a temporary resting place for us. There are no years, months, days, or hours, or minutes. There is no time with God. The psalmist is saying that God is our eternal home. Look, church, we we need to understand that the creator did not give us a permanent home on earth, but he he gave us himself as our home. This past year, families have moved from Gateway to other places like Houston, Monterey, Sacramento, and soon to be Orange County. One family will be moving there at the end of the month. Sadly. Yet, I remind you that as a people of God, we all share a common home. Physically and geographically, we may be apart, but God will will call us to our permanent home one day. There will be no more goodbyes, no potluck send-offs, no more tears. Church, our dwelling place is God. As I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I listened to this song over and over. It's a hymn written by Isaac Watts. It's entitled, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. And here's, here's the first line. Let me read it to you. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Friends, the reminder here is we are not homeless. No matter what you think, we are not homeless. Kids, when when you go to your house today, full of food, toys, and, and TVs, just remember, God offers you the best home, himself. This heavenly home will never crumble by earthquakes, tornadoes, or tsunamis. This home will never be full of animosity. This home will never be full of struggle between husband and wife. It will never be full of hostility between children and parents. This home will never be full of illness or even death. We may be thousands of miles away from our ministry partners, our Christian brothers and sisters in Bolivia and Ukraine and throughout the world, but we share one eternal home, and he is God. Moses knew that despite all the wandering, nothing compares to seeing God face to face and to recognize that only God could provide the shelter and refuge one needs in a time of darkness and wandering. For some of you, you may feel like you're wandering in darkness. The darkness of 2016 is carrying over into the darkness of 2017. Wandering from one place to another, 
Again, God offers you an eternal resting place in himself, not heaven. He offers you an eternal resting place in himself. Hold on to that promise as we go through this psalm today together. Next, we find this psalm take an interesting turn. In the first two verses of the psalm, we find joy in God's eternal existence. We established already that God is our eternal home. He was and will always be present. However, we see in the next nine verses the pain and trouble of humans. The reminder that we are a frail people. And that takes us again to our next point, the delicate flesh of man. The delicate flesh of man. Bear with me. This here is where it gets a little somber. It gets a little sad. In verse 3, we find the decaying body of man. I mean, what, do, what do you think Moses is doing here? Moses is, is referencing back to the beginning in Genesis. You'll notice as this psalm unfolds, he is tracing through the history of God, creation, the fall, Israel, up to his own history. Moses would know the beginning of the Bible better than anyone because what? Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses. Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. After Genesis 2, we come to the next chapter, which is the fall. Right? We, we know the story. Adam and Eve sin. The curse is upon them. God speaks in Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Our bodies are but a crumbling dust. The great and everlasting God compared to the the frail human, which is us. But what happens next? Moses not only compares our frailness, he points to man's short lifespan, man, the shortened lifespan of man. Now again, remember, he's tracing through Genesis here. And if you remember, in Genesis 5, one of my favorite texts as a kid, uh, we find the descendants of Adam to Noah. Right? And these people lived a really long, long time. It doesn't compare to our years today. Let me read some years off here. Seth, Adam's son, he lived 912 years. Adam himself, 930 years. Jared lived 962 years, but one man beats them all. Methuselah, he lived 969 years. Look, Moses is not pulling some arbitrary number here. He's thinking about this. He's comparing the longest living men in the history of the Bible to how we should see our own lives. Verse four in Psalm 90, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. A thousand years is nothing to God, and it shouldn't be to us. A thousand years are but a day to him, even less than that. That, that phrase, a watch in the night, is about three or four hours. 
So if I did the math correctly, I don't know if I did, I believe I did, a year to us is a little more than a minute to God. Think about that. A year to us is a little more than a minute to God. To put things into perspective, God's providence over our lives here on earth amounts to about a week according to God's time. Therefore, God could handle your 2017 like you could handle your next minute as much as it, as long as it takes to eat a donut for some of us. God could handle your 2017 like you, like you could deal with your next minute. If you still don't get it, Moses could keep, Moses keeps showing us keeps going. He shows us the fading existence of man. And then he brings up these images. You sweep them away with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. I mean, look at these images. Flood, dream, grass. Like a flood. Life is there one minute, then it's gone like a flood. It's safe to assume that Moses was reflecting back to the flood story. If you, I'm not sure if, if you've ever seen images uh, or videos of floods, you'll understand the weight of this description. I mean, what happens? The water is so strong that it'll take you away in seconds. Next, anyone remember what they, what they dreamt last night? Anyone remember their dream? Maybe some of you didn't sleep. I don't, I don't know. Um, but how many of you remember your dreams when you wake up? Maybe just a handful. You know, sometimes when I wake up from a dream I, and I want to tell my wife about it, I've already forgotten about it after I'm done getting ready. It's a blur. And that's life. We're saying our life is a blur. You'll just forget about it. If you still don't get it, Moses brings up the image of, of grass. And it's not like the grass that, we, that you and I know here, where you water it depending on the drought. But he's talking about the Middle East, where at night there may be, there, there may be some drops of rain and little pockets of grass will grow in the desert. But as soon as the scorching sun rises, what happens? It dies into the evening. Moses is saying our lives are like that. You know what other example helps me realize how time flies? Children. Children are a great example in showing us how fast time goes by. I know a lot of you are parents or teachers or grandparents or aunts or uncles. A lot of you can relate to this, but one day you see a child born, right? And then every year during Christmas time, you'll see this child and they just continue to grow. And you're like, wow, I can't believe, you know, they're, they're in kindergarten or they're in high school or they're in college or they're married with children now. I mean, think about this. According to God's time, According to God's time, some of us were entering college or the workforce a couple days ago, according to God's time. 
Then there are those who are probably feeding or chasing down your child as if it were yesterday. Do you remember that time? Where it was just like you were just raising your kids? Or you were starting that, that new job? Or you were just getting married? According to God, that was like yesterday. You know, every time I go in, into um, my, my old room, my parents still live in the house I grew up in, I feel like I'm 15 all over again. And I just remember just, I remember changing diapers in there. I'm like, wow, I just, it's so weird. I used to be in this room when I was 15. But here I am, I'm changing my child's diaper in my old room. Again, to God, that was like a couple days ago when I was 15. Yesterday, it seemed like I was 25. And God was preparing me to meet my bride. Today, I'm 35. Been married for seven, going on eight years, and we have a little girl. Tomorrow, I'll be 45. You're thinking about this, right? In less than a week, I will be in the presence of God. Your delicate life is but a flood, a patch of grass that grows and dies within a day. You know, this, this pat, or in 2016, I witnessed two, two things that has stayed with me going into 2017. I, I witnessed the birth of a beautiful baby boy um, by our close friends. But I also witnessed the death of a loved one. I mean, there's something about holding a newborn baby that brings joy to anyone's soul. The smallness, the delicacy, the tenderness in holding something that only God could create. A couple months ago, I visited this loved one and he was on his deathbed. I remember entering his home it was dark, it was somber, it was lonely. I remember walking to his room and he was just laying there, resting, somewhat strained. I remember the caretakers and his wife, they said he had about a day or two to live. And he wasn't eating, he was just laying there. Delicate, frail, tender, just how life began. As I was praying for this sermon, I was reminded that whether we are young or old, we are all dying. To paraphrase Richard Baxter, 17th century Puritan preacher, I'm paraphrasing, he says, I preach as a dying man to a dying people. Church, we are all dying whether you like it or not. The greatest problem, though, is not our frailty. Let me say that again. The greatest problem is not our frailty. It's not our delicate bodies. Our greatest problem is sin. And Moses knows this. And that takes us to our third point this morning. The most terrible reality we'll encounter today is the fallen nature of man. The fallen nature of man.
Again, here's this reminder about Moses and his experience. <coughs> Studies show that 1.2 million died in the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. If you spread that over 40 years, that's about 30,000 a year, 82 people a day. Of course, Scripture tells us that it mathematically did not happen that way. That way. But I'm only saying this because Moses saw death. He saw the frailty of man. Let me say that again. 1.2 million people died in the 40 years they were in the wilderness. Our life is limited because of our fallen nature. In other words, we are frail because of sin. And because of sin, listen to this, because of sin, we deserve the wrath of God. Happy New Year, I know. We deserve the wrath of God. But don't be downcast. The wrath of God balances the divine perfection of God's attributes. <coughs> Let me say that again. The wrath of God balances the divine perfection of God's attributes. Did you know the wrath of God is an attribute? I wrote a list of... I wrote, I was, this list started at 10 but I had to knock it down to three. And it's on the wrath of God. First, the wrath of God is righteous. The wrath of God is righteous. But because of Romans 2, 5, but because of your, ha- your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. It's Romans 2, 5. The wrath of God is righteous. Second, the wrath of God is in the Old and New Testament. It's consistent. The wrath of God is consistent. Jeremiah 30, verse 23. Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a rolling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Lastly, or third, the glorious reminder the wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. If the wrath of God scares you, and it should, understand that the wrath of God is good. God's wrath was satisfied by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 3, we find that God showed his righteous wrath in killing his son for our sake, and God was justified in doing so. Look, you see the gospel in this text. Jesus left his heavenly home. He left his refuge, his dwelling place. Jesus went through the wilderness. Jesus, fully human and fully uh, divine, experienced the frailty of human life, yet he did not sin. All our iniquities, our secret sins were, were nailed to the cross where he experienced the wrath of God himself. Jesus numbered his days in, in his affliction. He established the work of his hands, his body, so that we can enjoy him forever. Look, if you peel back layer after layer of God's attributes at the center of it all, you'll find the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Under the wrath of God is the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The reality of death should force, should force us to see the reality of sin. 
and that we will one day stand before a holy God. Third in our text, or is the second point, Moses wants us to understand the darkness of our sin. The darkness of our sin. Again, Moses is thinking through Genesis, specifically the fall. We die and deserve wrath because of Adam's sin. We die and deserve wrath because of Adam's sin. In Romans 5.12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We are consumed by God because of sin, if you don't get that already. And that's what Moses is saying in his prayer. We are consumed by God because of sin. I think Jonathan Edwards' most famous sermon sums it up. His most famous sermon, some of you know, is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let me read this quote to you. A quote from his sermon. The bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. Look, this, this sermon, it conveys the, the urgency of the moment because of the darkness of our sin. The urgency is, is today, January 1st, 2017. The urgency is what Edwards claims is that God is angry right now at this moment and he's ready to take action against those who are sinners. Our secret sins might be hidden from those around you but is not hidden from God. Yet sometimes we are so blinded by our sin that we don't see God. We never see God because we are blinded by our sin. Let me, let me just clarify. Sin is not just doing something you're not supposed to do, okay? It's about realizing our darkness, but understanding that we are grieving the heart of the one who saved us. That's what sin is doing. We are grieving the heart of the one who saved us. We sometimes groan over all these rules and, and the law, but we don't take account the majesty of the lawgiver. For some of you, sin may seem good and pleasurable, but let me warn you, let me remind you that you probably haven't tasted the sweet sovereign grace of God. So friends, this is, this is really a call to get out of the darkness and come to the light. The truth is, for some of us, light came to you in your darkness. If you remember your gospel story, your salvation story, Spurgeon would say, says, salvation finds us in the dark, but does not leave us there. Our iniquities are before him, our secret sins in the light of his presence. You cannot hide your sin from God. Third, we find we are frail, sinful, in addition to all that. Life is limited. Life is limited. 
Because of our frailty and sinfulness, we live a life within the, within the limits of God's providence. Listen to this. In, in understanding God's wrath and our sinfulness, God really saved us from himself. Think about that. God saved us from himself. God saved us from his own wrath. Consider his power, his anger, and fear him. I mean, you guys heard Rebecca. She's um, promoting the, the, the book of Proverbs as it continues in 2017. But what are we learning? Proverbs uh, chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of knowledge. Man, you, you know God more and more. You begin to fear him, and that's a good thing. As a sinful people, we have many limitations, but let that draw you to fearing God, and in doing so, you'll know him more than you could ever imagine in 2017. It is because of sin that our life will be but of toil and trouble. It will be but, but of darkness. But friends, listen to this. It will soon be gone. Your limitations should remind you of God's grace. The only pleasure you will have this morning is fearing and knowing God. And that takes us to our last point. The text walked us through God's eternality, our delicate humanity and fallen nature. But now God, uh, Moses calls out to God. And the last portion of our text points us to the infinite grace of God. Here's the good news. The last point of our text points us to the infinite grace of God. And we find another turn. Really, this is the first command or the imperatives found in Moses' prayer. Look, there is hope, friends, in 2017. There is hope. So let us plead together to God. Here are the concluding parts of his prayer. It starts with to teach us. Verse 12 really is a continuation of verse 13. In other words, Moses is saying, as we consider your anger and wrath in this shortened life, and knowing that, Lord, teach us to number our days. Consider every year, every month, every day, every minute that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. That's what Moses wants. But how do we do that practically, church? How do we do that practically? I could say, read your Bible, go to church, pray every day, which is all true. But church, look around you. God has provided wise Christians to teach us to number our days. Here's what I mean. We are blessed to, to be part of a multi-generational church where we have a church full of, of young and more senior people. And that's a good thing. Because there's a, rich, there's a richness in listening to Christians who have been through life. They've been through marriage, parenting, job layoffs, even death. And so my charge to the younger people here is to listen to the seasoned Christians in our congregation, buy them coffee, take them out to dinner, invite them over your home, whatever it takes, but be amazed of how God has used them in your life, has used them in their life. Seasoned Christians older people, 
teach us to number our days as well. You've been through toil and trouble, yet you are here sitting in church. That says something. You have a lot of wisdom to teach us. More importantly, you're coming from a Christian worldview, and we'll take it. I don't know about you, but if you're struggling in your marriage, would you consider talking to someone who's been married for 20 or 30 years, who's been through it all? Maybe you're struggling with parenting. Go to a couple that has raised children, and now they have grandchildren, and now they have great-grandchildren. Their church is there. It allows us to teach us to number our days. Not only that, we see the buildup here in verse 13. The return to us. Return translated here is relent. Moses saying, come back now, God, we need you. Look how frail we are. We need you. You mean, you could just see it in this text. Moses is calling out, you return us to dust. Have mercy on us. Because, God, you're, the real, you're really the only one that could satisfy us. And that's our third point. Satisfy us. Now you see the contrast here in the entirety of this psalm. Okay, remember in verse six, if you look at verse six, in the morning we're renewed, but in the evening we fade. After a night of trouble, what happens? After a night of trouble, what happens? He renews us. He renews us in the morning with what? What do you guys see there? What do you guys read? He renews us with what? His steadfast love. You guys remember his steadfast love? I think, I really just feel that's, that was the overall theme in 2016. Because Rod preached on it in 2 Samuel 2, right? And then if you remember, in Nehemiah, what was the overarching theme? His steadfast love. And then we went through the church anniversary where God has sustained us five years. And we saw his loving kindness then. And we'll continue to see it. But God has shown us his loving kindness, his has said love the past year. And he'll continue to do it in 2017. Evening has faded, but morning has come. As 2016 fades, God will renew us today, this morning, with his steadfast love. Satisfaction in God will prepare us for days where we'll be afflicted. And we'll be afflicted in 2017. You see, Moses did not want a perfect life. That's what he means here, make us glad. He knew he would see affliction. Here's what Moses was asking in verse 15. He was saying, He was asking for blessing and adversity so that he could be reminded that that he would always need God, right? We don't want to ask for a perfect life. We want to pray that God remind us that you are always in control. Remind us that we always need you. That is our prayer. Don't give us that perfect life, but give us blessing and adversity. Last point, establish or, or, or favor us. Sorry. Favor us. After confessing his weakness and sin, Moses, after confessing his weakness and sin, appeals to God that our life 
which will be filled with toil and trouble, be not in vain. He wanted his life and, and everything that he's done to mean something. And as we know, the legacy of how the, the legacy of Moses ended, we understand that his work was never in vain, right? I mean, Moses became the most prominent figure in Israel's history apart from God himself. I mean, we know that because numerous psalms and numerous prophets point to the great exodus. If you think about that, the, the great exodus was their gospel they would point to. How Moses delivered his people. Or God used Moses to deliver his people, I should say. God established the work of his people to make his glory known through all the earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. At the end of this gospel reminder from the Apostle Paul, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, I want you to know that you working outside or inside the home is never in vain. Whether you're in construction, whether you're behind a computer all day, whether you're doing laundry or feeding children or teaching students, or if you're even retired, your work is not in vain. In your frailty, God will teach you to number your days, to be satisfied in him, and establish the work of your hands to make his glory known. Let me conclude with some, some thoughts here. Author and pastor Jared C. Wilson, he wrote this. I always thought that ministry was about helping people live. Nobody ever told me it's about helping people die. Ministry is about helping people die to ourselves, die to our wants, our needs, and to understand how frail we are in the light of an eternal God. I've, I've used this illustration, I think this pat in 2016, but I'll, I'll use it again as we close. My daughter, when she, when she was probably a little bit younger, when she was two, a year ago, um, she would sometimes get a little weary and agitated um, when we take long road trips. Um, so, you know, as, as the hours would go by and we're in the car, she would start to cry. I mean, she would just say things like, I just want to be home. I just want to be home. And so, you know, my wife would calmly tell her, Piper, we're almost home. We're almost home. And so, you know, by the time we exit, we would point to various landmarks like, hey, do you, do you recognize the McDonald's? Do you recognize the Safeway over there? And when you enter our complex, there's these big trees. And we say, Piper, look at these trees. Do you, do you see those trees? We're almost home. And Piper will respond in her crying voice, okay, almost home. And in the same way, God, through his word, shows us that we're almost home. The Bible is filled with a reminder that his steadfast love never ceases. Church, we are almost home. What God is saying through this text is this. 
do you not see how I carried you through 2016? Do you not see how I carried you for the past 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years? I showed you my steadfast love. God gave us all that we needed in 2016, and he'll continue to do so. So the reminder today is not that we're almost, not only that we're almost home, but that he is our home, and we're gonna be there soon. The joy and pain we've experienced in 2016, and whatever we go through in 2017 together as a church, and the years to follow, will never compare to our everlasting home we have in God. We're almost there, church. Let us pray. Father, we are just thankful again just for this reminder, this prayer of your servant Moses, which is our prayer, our hope for the year, our hope that you will always be there for us, that you will be our home in times of darkness. You will be our home. In times of feeling lost in the wilderness, you will be our home. And Lord, that is such a sweet, sweet reminder that you will carry us, that you will hold us fast as you take us into our heavenly home. Lord, let this be the psalm in our heart. Let this be the prayer of our hearts this morning and let this echo through 2017. You are a great, great God and we are small people, so we need you. Be with the church today. Be with the church in 2017 as you go through trials. Help us lean on one another. Teach us to number our days. Lord, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.